So Dave, I made a terrible mistake. What happened? I... Well, I'm embarrassed about this. Uh, that you remember in a previous episode, I was talking about the, uh, the good people at Rackspace. Mm-hmm. The uh, great people at Rackspace. The great people at Rackspace. The, fi- the fine purveyors of uh, hosting and cloud services. Uh, progenitors of the uh, OpenStack project. So uh, mm-hmm. this, this website is in fact hosted on Rackspace. Um, mm-hmm. And I ran into some problems with my hosting uh, last week. Um, mm-hmm. it, things were getting inexplicably slow. Like CPU load was low, memory use was low, I/O was low, but still, um, my load was up at like twelve, eighty, thirty. I mean, it was you know ridiculous. It was kind of a difficult, mm. difficult thing to manage. Um, and I suggested. Uh, that it was uh, that that was attributable to, to the Zen hypervisor that they were still using Zen, uh, yes. like like animals. Um, it, but it turns out that that was not in fact the problem. Do you, you want to guess? Do you want to guess what the problem was? Um, no, tell me, tell me. I was going to make some sar- uh, sarcastic guess, but no. <laughs> well, so the, so the problem was the was in fact multi tenancy. Uh, the problem mm-hmm. was that there was another user who was on my box that was sharing hardware with me and they're whatever they're doing over there um they were consuming almost all the swap on the system Hmm. uh and so which wedged uh me and all of my other neighbors uh, on that hypervisor right okay so to rackspace's credit um i was able to uh i was able to open up a support ticket and say hey man what's what's going on and they were like oh uh, there's this other user who's uh, who, and this is this is like ten minutes. Um, th- there's another user uh, who's uh, consuming all the swaps based on the system. Uh, I have uh, rebooted their server, uh, sent an email to them explaining how they can reduce swap use in the future, and you shouldn't have the problem again. Hmm. And I was amazed. The response time was great. They were friendly, frank, and productive. Um, I had a, I had an excellent experience with them, and now I understand why the call, why they tout their fanatical support because it was indeed fanatical. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. But still, though, um, can you put bounds around? Like I always worry, you know, with cloud computing, you got to worry about. Uh, I remember at the summit last year, Dan mm-hmm. Walsh did uh, a, a, a talk about multi-tenancy, and he, he had this whole analogy of the apartment building and all that, and. Mm-hmm. You know, what about when you have that neighbor that is like driving you up a wall, you know, playing music in the middle of the night or, or whatever? Um, you know, it's, you know, how, 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 do they, how do you fix something like that? Well, I don't know. It sounds like you would need some like expensive tool or utility that I would have to buy and then install it on the thing and like uh, configure it for all this. I mean, it sounds super complicated and, and expensive, frankly. Um, yeah. not, not, not the kind of thing I would want. Um, I mean, the bummer is if only the operating system actually included a tool like that that would allow me to separate resource use from user to user. Like at the hypervisor level? Yeah, like at the hypervisor level. Do you know? Huh. I, do, you, do you know anything like that? Oh man. Well, I'll I tell you what. We'll second. figure. We'll figure it out. We can put it in the show notes once we figure it out. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, yeah. That that joke might have been a little bit too elliptical, but well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Dave, we actually have a we have an intimidating amount of material to cover this week, right? Yes, plus a customer we like. Now there, we we have stuff left over from the summit. Yeah, that, uh, that we're going to get in. So yeah, yeah. that's right. Okay, uh, so what's right. on tap? Um, so we've got. Uh, let's see. We're going to talk about the evolution of evolution. 
Um, mm -hmm. We're going to hit skeuomorphism. We got many, many raspberry pies. We got raspberry pie, onion pie, brick pie, and uh, and the lessons learned this week uh, comes predictably from both Google and the NSA. Yeah, great. Um, so Dave, uh, if folks want to learn more about the show, if uh, maybe they want to take a look at the show notes and I'll find out what exactly the joke was, uh, where, where, where do they go? They want to go to dgshow.org, says D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. And we're also, what do we have on the uh, cutting room floor this, this episode? Oh, uh, cutting room floor this week is all about guinea pigs. Um, there's yep. one uh, guinea pig covered in the blood of the innocent, uh, and there's another one with a, there's some, there's some guinea pig armor. Uh, mm -hmm. Some other material. Anyway, so a guinea pig themed cutting from cutting room floor this week. And it, it's all rated G. All rated G, yes. Yeah. Although, yeah. actually, man, I'll tell you, the guinea pig with the blood on its mouth, that's actually kind of. That freaked me out a little bit, I'll be honest. Yeah. But it wasn't real blood, I don't think. Right. Right. Anyway. That's what I want to believe. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you believe whatever makes you most comfortable. Yeah. Whatever, whatever helps you sleep at night. I think. I think the prospect of a vampire guinea pig is absolutely terrifying. Um, so Summit, we did it. It's all Jesus. over. Yeah. You know how I, you know how I know Summit's over? How? I got a I got a full night's sleep. Yes. Good for you. Thanks. Yeah. Um. So it was good. As you and I were talking earlier about the you know we we did the dailies on the on the Summit stuff, which is a, kind of a good. Uh, good kind of daily roundup, but now that now that you've had the the perspective of a weekend on it, um, mm -hmm. what do you what's your what's what's your impression of uh, of summit this year? Well, it was it was just crazy busy. Um, there was what like thirteen parallel tracks, and yeah. so there's no way that one person can cover it all. Uh, That's right. You know, like you could send one person from one company, and you know, you got you got to spread out. So the the cool thing is for a lot of the more popular sessions where it was like capacity and they had to turn people away, they video recorded it and, and we're going to put it up on YouTube and the customer portal and all that. So that's, uh, I'm looking forward to catching up on that, especially for you and I who were tied up in a lot of, of uh, side meetings and all that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought that that, that that was pretty cool. And, and now it's next year, what, it's in April in uh at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, kind of awkwardly timed, though, right? I mean, we've got, it's the, what is it, tax day on one end, and then I think Passover on the other? Is that right? Yep. Yeah, it yeah. goes right into Easter. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, like that Friday is, yeah, it's Good Friday. I think, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. It'll be nice to have it back on the West Coast. Um, I think the last time we did on the West Coast was, what, San Diego, right? San Diego, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Um, what, was, what was your take on the summit? I thought it was. I thought it was really nice. so. It was the for me, the most gratifying thing is is actually having the customer meetings and going back and listening to the previous episodes. But I complained about them a lot. But it really is great to be able to meet with folks that I'm not able to meet with regularly and help customers connect with folks who can solve their problems. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, oh, you have a storage problem. Oh, here, talk to Rick Wheeler. Um, yep. Oh, you have an OpenShift question. Oh, here's Dan Yokes. Right. You know, have. Being able to being able to make those connections is 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 really gratifying. Uh, that's a, so I really enjoy that part. And I also I also I think you might disagree with me about this, but I I really like the keynotes. Uh, I thought mm -hmm. that the I think we're finding our own voice on on this message about how important open source is to the cloud. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about cloud in previous summits. Um, in fact, for years we've talked about the the cloud, but I think it's now, at least for me, it's more apparent than ever that 
open source is literally the foundation for all of these, you know, very disruptive generational shifts in computing and you ignore it at your peril. Right. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think that the message we have now is, is clean. Um, I think it's strong. I think it's kind of, it's bold uh, in the way that a red hat message should be bold. Uh -huh. um, anyway, so I was, I was, I really liked Cormier's uh, keynote and I really liked uh, Cormier, Paul Cormier, the, uh, um, uh, the head of our whole product and technology organization. Uh, and then Brian Stevens, the CTO. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed both of their, uh, both of their keynotes. Um, they did, they were, they, they told the story in a really nice kind of well-packaged way. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's always nice to see uh, months of internal meetings kind of come to fruition in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I liked the most about uh, Paul Cormier's talk was the where he had this progression where he basically went historically from, uh, you know, Linux and RHEL to, and then just went from the, the evolution of Red Hat where, you know, we've added JBoss, we added storage, we added you know, KVM and Kubernetes and, and it's just, there's just this pattern that it's really hard to, hard to deny. Mm -hmm. You know, going going to open source, and it seems you know where he wrapped up that it's like OpenStack is is the next step in this uh, journey. Yeah, yeah, and it makes perfect sense um, when you tell the story like that. I think it was a, it was a really good perspective. Yep. So we'll have to put the links to the uh, keynotes in the uh, uh, or in the uh, show notes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, so then I returned home from the summit. Uh -huh. uh, and by that I mean I literally returned home. I uh, just moved my house. And yeah, new house. New yeah. house. Congratulations. So, thank you very much. Um, so once we got hot water and uh, air conditioning, um, which were kind of the first items, and then we got internet mm -hmm. uh, the day after I got home, so that was exciting. And the next step, obviously, was to wire up my house like a nerd, uh, which mm -hmm. is exactly what I did. So so I wanted to... I, 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 this is all going to lead to a question. Um, but uh, so I had this... Uh, alarm system that is kind of connected the thermostats so I can kind of manage my air conditioning from mm -hmm. the control panel. I can also manage, uh, if I choose to buy the equipment, I can instrument light switches so I can turn things on and off from the mm -hmm. control panel. Uh, so it's kind of an alarm system and home automation system, right? Mm. Uh, it's also got uh, video cameras. So I got video cameras in the house and I can, if somebody rings the front doorbell, uh, I can go to my phone and I could be upstairs and I could go to my phone and see who's at the door and you know, kind of check them out first before I open the door. Just fun stuff like that. Um, and I got to thinking about knowing all of the software and knowing all of the networking that is going on between these devices and the control panel and the video cameras and all the rest of it. And I was trying to create kind of a threat model for myself. I was trying to think, you know, yes. cause this is how I, this is what, as I'm drifting off to sleep, this is what I think about. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about different ways in which the, these tools could be used against me, um, mm -hmm. you know, exploited, uh, you know, can this thing be hacked? I mean, it's software, right? So surely it can be, it can be hacked. Um, anyway, I was curious what kind of, what kind of, obviously there's a great deal of convenience that comes with a tool like this, but I wonder what do I have to do to protect myself? What kind of safeguards can I have in place to make sure that somebody isn't going to compromise the system, make sure, uh, it's not going to be used against me. You know, somebody, um, somebody taking secret video of me in my backyard or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's all kinds of things I suppose that could go wrong, but I'm not quite sure how to protect myself because there's no way to get into these systems, you know? Um, it's not like it's running a copy of Linux and I could just log into it. 
Yeah. Well, it, so who? What is it like? Or is it like a bunch of? Is it like a kit you got, or is it like a turnkey company yeah, and service? Or right. It's a. It's a. So it's a. Uh, the control box is basically an elaborate cell phone um, that is hooked up to uh, this alarm.com service, which is a subscription. Alarm. Alarm.com or alarm.gov. <laughs> Indistinguishable, um, which we'll talk more about later. Um, yeah. The uh, but uh, alarm.com, um, and so this basically this elaborate cell phone, which is the control panel. Um, all the data coming off of all the sensors in the house gets reported up to the website, and then they can log into the website and kind of check on check on things, and that can mm-hmm. you know set the thermostat and change the times and you know everything you would expect to do. So there's like a so what if somebody hacks my account, right? What kind of mm-hmm. damage they can do? They could actually like hack my account and from the website, turn my temperature up to 150 degrees if they wanted, I guess. Um, yep. Anyway, it got me thinking. And the there didn't seem to be a kind of uh, security awareness or uh, concern that I would that I would I would want to surround web based access to an Internet of Things, an Internet of My Things. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, I had a lot of concerns, and I don't really have a lot of good answers, right? Um, well, I don't know. And it's not just getting hacked, but I, have, I don't know if you looked at the terms of the service, but are they, like, collecting that information and selling it? So it's like all of a sudden now you get the uh, electricity providers calling you to offer better rates or, or you know, doing mm-hmm. things to, like, sell the data that, you know, you see from a lot of companies. They may whether it's Hulu or whoever, that mm-hmm. they may sell you something, but they may also be selling your data as another revenue stream. Right, right. And, and to the extent that that data is useful. I mean, and I don't know uh, who else might have access to that data, right? It could be, uh, there could be a a ne'er-do-well who works for the company who's watching to see when uh, when I'm entering or leaving the house, right? Because um, mm-hmm. the alarm company knows when I'm not in the house. Anyway, I, it, it, it actually created more, I mean, it's super cool, right, to be able to do all this stuff, uh, but thinking about it as a guy who talks about security all the time um it really got it really had me really had me thinking uh, i'm not i'm not sure how good an idea this is hmm. so hmm. anyway uh, so was it so dave right before we started there was a there was an email that came through uh inviting us to a, uh to a dog fooding sprint um yes so it's a bunch of red hat folks are going to descend on one particular project and and try and make it better kind of, uh, in, a, in a sprint, right? Um, yep. And the and can you can you the can you guess what project it is? Tell me. The project is evolution. Yeah. The ne'er do well erstwhile email kind of outlook work alike. Um, yeah. Which what, what was your what was your comment, Dave? Well, no, I, it's like I've I'm not going to do the dog fooding. I, I, maybe I was burned with it too many times in the past where I, I, I felt like uh, Charlie Brown in a football where <laughs> you know it's and this was back when I worked at, at companies where, where you know we had exchange and, and back then evolution didn't have very good exchange integration mm-hmm. and so it's like boy this this interface is just beautiful and it's and you know it says it can connect with exchange and it's it's all great and everything and then and then you try it and then it's like it's like horrible and then um then you're like next version yeah it's all gonna be different and then you do it again and after like a half a dozen times it's like never mind i'll just do the web user interface for the our email client and it's like 
it's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. The, I know I had the same experience with evolution. It's exactly like Charlie Brown and the football. I, I, every every time I come back, I think it's going to be totally different. And every time I come back, I'm like, it's just it's a disaster, and often in a brand new way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tough. I, I'm hopeful though, right? I guess there's you know we're not so cynical that we're not coming back. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see. Well, but also, I mean, do you anymore? Do you necessarily need an offline client for email? I mean, I'm sort of used to the whole Gmail model, where and and it's sort of like you keep it in the cloud. You go to any web browser; it's there. I don't have to worry about having a client on every device that I have that's authenticated and you know and having it installed. To me, it's I like having not even an app, but a web UI that I can go right into. Yeah, that, I mean that's okay. Uh, but I, so I like offline access for two reasons. Number one, airplanes. Um, mm-hmm. Number two, offline access implies that I actually have that data, like that I'm actually mm-hmm. holding that data. Um, and there is a, I don't know, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm a, uh, maybe I'm old school like this, but I, I like the idea that the data is actually sitting on my laptop. I certainly enjoy the convenience of having it online, but I don't think about. I don't think about the data online as that being its primary location, if that mm, makes sense. Okay. I think about it being on my laptop as the as the primary location. Um, I almost think about the online part of it as, as being like a backup, if you like. Hmm. Yeah, no, I'm the opposite, where mm-hmm. it's like I want to have one source of truth, and I'll, I'll trust somebody else to have better backup than I do. And, and maybe I'm making assumptions. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Um. Speaking of trusting someone else, uh, iOS 7 just released their uh, design specifications or their yep. mock-ups. Um, I'll tell you, it looks great. It looks really good. I don't know if you saw yeah. the screenshots. Uh, yeah, I did. And and I think we're going to have a uh, vocabulary quiz coming up. Yeah, that's right. That's right, because it gives us an excuse to say the word skeuomorphism again. Right. Yeah. So what, what is skeuomorphism? Skeuomorphism is uh, when you... There's a more formal definition, but this is when you uh, design something to look like the thing that it replaces. Um, yes. And so uh, the classic example would be uh, like a calendar app on your computer that actually looks like a desktop calendar. Yeah. Like yeah it's like dates circled. With, it looks like a Sharpie with circle. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly right. Um, so apparently they're getting rid of all the skeuomorphic design inside uh, inside Apple's uh, mobile operating system, and actually the end result looks like it actually looks a lot closer to an Android phone now. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It's, it, we see this kind of convergence, or I guess like consensus uh, around uh, around design. I'd say that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, they're starting to come together. What's funny is I'll have people come up to me and and or I'll be in a meeting and then somebody will like throw out terms like item potent and then just look at me <laughs> <laughs> you know like yeah, I, I learned something you know, so, yeah. that's right they'll say yeah they'll say idempotent and then uh and then like yeah. put their hand up for a high five like <laughs> yeah. arithmomania right. <laughs> cool um let's see uh oh you know what else should be on the vocabulary quiz is a uh, sequestration yeah, more more belt tightening. More belt tightening. Yeah, this is actually old news. This is actually from like two weeks ago, but we just never got a chance to get around to it. But uh, OMB is now asking agencies to prep for a ten percent discretionary budget cut. Mm. Which, uh, to put that in context, the previous plan was a five percent cut. Yeah, and the sequestration was a five percent cut. So you remember, like all of the 
tooth gnashing and garment rending over sequestration. That was right. all over a 5% cut to the discretionary budget. Wow. OMB is so now, yeah, so as part of the budgeting process, OMB is now asking agencies to basically get ready for a 10% discretionary cut, twice as big what? as the sequestration. Yeah, So, and that's on top of or in place of sequestration? Uh, yeah, so the cuts are not included in the new plan. So the sequestration is 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 set aside. Um, okay. So it's actually it's ten percent off the original. So it's kind of five percent from sequestration, and then I guess another five percent would be my guess. Hmm. Um, anyway, it's a, I'm you know I I had flagged this for us to talk about. I don't know um, if I'm just misinterpreting it, uh, or maybe I misunderstand the importance of the request. Uh, but it seems like a pretty big deal to me, and I would have expected a lot more media coverage of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, but then, man, I'll tell you what, it's like we've gone from one, you know, with the news in terms of, you know, going from the IRS to, you know, around the horn of all the federal agencies. It's like, <laughs> That's right, yeah. There's there's so much that they're talking about with that. And I, I think, you know, people start talking about budgets and that doesn't get the headlines that, you know, scandal would, would provide. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, no, you're, yeah, you're right about that. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna do our share of, of talking about that in just a second. But first, we get to talk about this weekend pie. Yes, yes, yep. So, so you found um, two you found two projects you're excited about, right? Yep, yep. So one of them is uh, Brick Pie, which uh, where you are able to use a Raspberry Pi as a, a brain uh, for your Legos, and cool. you, yeah, and and so basically you could do Lego robotics with. A Raspberry Pi, and guess how you program your robot? Oh, Scratch! Yes. Awesome. Yes. Oh, that's yes. so cool. Yeah. So there's a Kickstarter that's underway to to, to make that happen. So I know that um, I don't know if anybody on on uh, that's listening has done uh, First Robotics League, where uh, you know you use the Lego robots in you know in the Junior League. Uh, that's that's what my daughter Lauren did, and. Uh, they have this, it's very scratch-like visual programming environment where you drag and drop stuff and do loops and everything like that. Um, but it was its own sort of language. And then you um, plug the, the the brain of the robot into a, a USB port and then you hot sync the code down to it. And then you, you could hit like a play button and then it would execute whatever program you gave it. But now instead of using this, uh, I guess, regular, uh, you know, sort of like specific, uh, 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 thing you know, you you actually can be uh, using a Raspberry Pi. I I also know that um, I think there's a new. Actually, Lawrence did send me this. There's a a new version of the Lego Mindstorms that the brain in it is actually running Linux. Uh, oh, cool. And it's ARM based. Yeah. Oh, really neat. Yeah. Huh. I said once again, I'm so jealous of kids who get to grow up now with all of these toys and kind of the introduction of software into this kind of construction kit category um it just blows me away it's so cool yeah you need to have kids or 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 babysit or something to you know live vicariously through them <laughs> that's right that's right yeah yeah um so in the other the other pie project uh is pretty cool and mm-hmm. uh incredibly topical uh so it's onion pie um yep. which is disgusting by the way i do not care for the actual onion pie but yeah. Uh, but this project is is pretty great. It's a uh, it's actually and it's actually based on a Navy project. Uh huh. Yeah, the Naval Research Laboratory developed mm-hmm. this. Um, so it's it it's basically it's a kit that is 
uh, a Raspberry Pi running uh, Tor, uh, which stands for the Onion Router. Oh, it actually and, doesn't uh, stand for that anymore. I, I learned. Oh, someone okay. had someone corrected me. They, they used to be Tor used to stand for the Onion Router, and now it's just Tor. It doesn't stand for anything. Okay. I don't wow. know why. I wish it would have been. I, I love recursive algorithms. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyhow. Um, so that yeah, so it's and then it's it, it you basically treat the the Raspberry Pi as an access point, a wireless access point, and then you're able to, um, you know, go through the Onion router. So uh, do you know what an Onion router is? Uh, so the, it's an it's an anonymizing proxy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so can, if, I, if I yeah. right, so I can if I I can take my traffic, my browser, email, whatever, if I send it through this proxy. Um, it'll go inside this like crazy straw network um, and like all this like Rube Goldberg for packets and then out mm -hmm. the other end will come my request but it will be basically not traceable to me yeah or and, and also very high latency mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah but have you ever used Tor? I have I have I'm actually I'm uh, I'm on the uh this a technical committee uh, for an organization associated with uh, Radio Free Asia who kind of sponsors projects like Tor in order to help dissident journalists uh, communicate outside countries with firewalls in them, right? So yeah. uh, imagine, I don't know, pick a country. Myanmar would be an example. Um, uh, of course, China would be another example. Um, if you want to get information out of that country and you have a bunch of legitimate reasons to not want that communication uh, connected to you. Um, Tor is far and away the, 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 to date, Tor is far and away the best way to do that. Um, yeah. They keep people safe. Um, I know there was one activist, I think he was in, uh, I think he was in Myanmar and he said, um, I've taught people how to use all kinds of tools and um, anyone who, the only one that keeps one, people out of jail is Tor. Mm. Um, so incredibly effective and, and also a great open source story, right? Because you have the Naval Research Lab having built it basically is a skunk works project as far as I can tell. And now it's like this critical piece of, you know, uh, human rights activists and journalists. And they're really interesting. Yeah. But to me, the, you know, the other side of the coin is that I, you know, like you, you see the, uh, you know, uh, all this stuff in the news and people are going to be like, Oh, use tour and everybody's going to use tour. And it's like, I, I don't have a reason to. And, mm -hmm. and to me, it's like, I'm, I worry that my traffic is going to be associated with, you know, it's more than just the the well-intentioned uh, journalist um, or the or the dissident, but right. you know the bad guys or people with bad pictures or whatever, and mm -hmm. and and like having my traffic flow out that same pipe. I I worry about you know having you know you get in trouble for something that you didn't do or or it looks like that and maybe i don't understand uh tor well enough but um well no i think no, I, I, think I worry about that yeah no that's legitimate right so but but what you're talking about is regulating your behavior so that only criminals can take advantage of of this right um yep. so the i mean because that's the other side of that of that thinking right i mean what you're saying is totally natural right like i don't want to be you know, I don't want to be confused with, you know, like a rogue file share or, a, you know, someone committing a felony. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, it's the same tools that are useful to a human rights activist as uh, as they are to, uh, you know, someone committing a crime. Um, and if we avoid using them for fear of being tainted, um, 
then uh, all we're doing is making sure that the only people who could benefit from are criminals. Um, yep. I, I, would, I would go actually go the other way. I think the goal is um, to have as many people as possible use this technology um, in order to make it safer uh, for folks who are, who are actually putting their, their life on the line to, to use it, you know? Um, you know, because you, you, you want them, you want the people doing activist work, they want, you want the journalists, uh, you want the dissidents to be able to uh, get lost in the noise, if you like. Um, right. Uh, and you don't want that, you don't want this kind of tool to be easily identifiable as like, oh, that's a, oh, if you're using Tor, that's obviously a criminal act. Um, yes. I think that's, yes. that's a dangerous place to be, right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Tor is incredibly difficult to use. Um, mm. It's a huge pain. Uh, to get everything configured and, and get it set up right. And it's getting better. It's getting a little bit easier. There's like Android apps, which can kind of automate part of the process as an example. Um, but uh, I think actually putting all of the the smarts for it in like an embeddable device uh, has has some really neat implications. Um, mm-hmm. now, you know, for obviously for if you can take an anonymizing proxy and bring it with you to a coffee shop and plug it in and you can connect to the whatever, the Starbucks Wi-Fi and still know that you're and then you connect to the to the onion pie. Uh, that way, you can actually use public networks and be safe. Make sure that nobody's eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a nice segue into our new segment, which is this week in Panopticon. Yes, yes, yeah. So, um, yeah. So you had the first one that was an interesting uh, thing to ponder. So go ahead, hit, hit us up with that one. Yeah. Okay. So Dave, what if I told you that there was an organization out there, um, that was, uh, that had access to the intimate secrets of millions upon millions upon millions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they're explicit that they are using all of that data, uh, for their own ends. Uh, they are not doing it for the good of the good of the people who, who, whose data they're using. They're doing it for their own, uh, for their own benefit. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know which organization I'm talking about? Yeah, I could think of at least one. <laughs> right. Um, it, it turns out that Google is in many ways indistinguishable from the NSA in this respect, right? Um, yeah. the, the, so, in, in, and it's interesting, like, people seem super comfortable with Google doing more or less exactly what the NSA was doing, right? Um, just Google, in return, gave you Gmail. Mm-hmm. Um NSA in return gave you kind of a recalculated risk of whatever terrorism, right? Or espionage. Um, I think it's interesting to see the cost and not to make them morally equivalent because they're absolutely not right. Um, you know, people use Google and they enter into a, like a commercial agreement with a company and that like that changes the, the ethics of this uh, significantly. Um, right. Because you never signed a contract with the NSA, uh, but it's right. just interesting to see the amount of hyper, I'm trying to say the word hyperbole without diminishing the reactions, um, because I think the the emotional reaction to this is like super is super legitimate. Um, but you know, you take the stuff down to the bare bones, and like Google and the NSA are, are like awfully similar organizations in a number of like really important ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I and I was I, I was just trying to highlight the um, that I think that distinction is lost. We almost keep them in two separate buckets when in fact they're um, uh, they they're they have a lot more in common than they do different, right? Yeah, well, and Google isn't the—they're not the only ones with the monopoly on on you know that sort of business model, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, trying to think of the other example. Well, I mean, the coupons, right? Um, uh, frequent, you know, shopping cards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so when you're a 
when people ask you for your you know Marriott rewards number at the hotel, like if that's why they are asking, right? <laughs> so they can they can keep track of you. Um, it's you know it's a it's lucrative. It, so well, what's interesting is that all the discussion around uh, you know the the Snowden revelations. Um, there's a lot of it started a lot of kind of good conversation um, over the last uh, two weeks, but it, it's interesting to see how little it's affected how people understand this the, basically the exact same work happening in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's it's really remarkable, and there's there's some kind of psychology to that, right? Um, and it might have something to do with the NSA and the government having a monopoly on on power or a monopoly on the use of force, right? And that might have <laughs> that's. That's that's significant because, as far as I know, Google doesn't you know actually operate an army. Um, but uh, that you know of right? that, that's right that we know of. Uh, anyway, it's I, early on when this you know when this scandal broke, I was I got very very frustrated because there was you know a lot of hyperbole, a lot of actual like misunderstanding of you know it's not even like you need to have privileged information to to understand a lot of this stuff. Like in as an example, like in the original article. They talk about prism, the prism system, being basically uh, an administrative tool, right? Um, mm-hmm. The same thing with that. Uh, what was it called? Bountiful Harvest or whatever that other program was that did the the map of where all the surveillance was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, people were referring to those tools as if they were the collection systems themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And saying like, well, how could they possibly collect all that data for $20 million? And I saw a whole article written about how they could collect all that information for 20 million. It was like, guys, no, it was a $20 million website. Like it was a 20 million. It said right there in the article, like it's a website designed to expedite the, you know, the handling of requests for information. Uh, it wasn't, yeah. you know, it didn't actually create the information themselves. And so the, the quality of the debate, especially in the first week or so just suffered a bunch. Um, and there's also like a, and now I'm on a rant. Okay, so here we go. So, the, and also I think there's a there's a basic misunderstanding of what the uh, of kind of the thinking behind this. It wasn't the the NSA didn't necessarily act unilaterally on this stuff, right? Um, the Patriot Act is pretty explicit about offering not all the powers that they seem to be exercising, but um, you know, Section 702 and Section 215 of the Patriot Act. Uh, opened up some pretty big doors for some pretty serious uh, liberties uh, mm-hmm. that the that the agency could take, um, and and what we're seeing now, twelve years later, is just the agency took what we gave them through this legislation, and now they're doing the work, right? Um, mm-hmm. And they you know, we can argue at the margins about whether they overstepped or whether they misinterpreted or or what have you, and that's probably a good discussion to have. But I think the, for me, the, what well, what this all flows from is we passed a law that we wrote basically overnight on you know September twelfth two thousand one, um, and now twelve years later we're realizing that you know, maybe this law wasn't that great and maybe it needs to be restructured and maybe we need to like strengthen the oversight here. Um, yeah. So anyway, so that's my hope for the that's my hope for this. Um, okay, that's the end of the rant. All right. Yeah. So, so, but the, but the, you know, it's funny. The you know, <clears throat> it's going back. You know, this all came from Snowden's leak, uh, which was. Uh, it, it's almost crazy how simple the leak was, right? Um, mm-hmm. He just walked out of the building with a USB key. Yep. 
Yeah, and and like even anymore is like you have a micro SD card. I mean, mm-hmm. you could fit that into like a hearing aid or or you know, in in, in just about anything. I yeah. mean, in your shoe or whatever. And there's, you know, I don't. I think you could probably get that through a metal detector easily, um, or any sort of scanner. Uh, yeah. So it's it's amazing. But uh, yeah, and which caused me to think about well, you know, it's time. You know, to do like a, a security hygiene reminder, and you know, it's like, well, are there ways that you could disable USB in RHEL, or are there ways that you can confine users in RHEL? And you know, we have lots of articles about that. Um, and uh, I was gonna, I was gonna actually stick hot glue in all my USB ports. Is that the yes. recommended method? Is that that's well, I, you wouldn't be the first one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I know people do that. Um, but there are also ways that you could do it at the software layer too. And so, if you were to disable it at the software layer, what what would be the um, if you wanted to learn how to do that? Where where would you go first? Oh, well, obviously, I'd go to the uh, the Red Hat customer portal, um, right? And access our knowledge base, which is full of useful articles about exactly this topic. Very good. Very good. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And and even the. Uh, user confinement one uh, is it's a whole video series that I did so you get to see me present that so um, where it's 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 pretty cool because it shows you how to you know be a regular user on a system and prevent you from being able to to SU or prevent you from being able to run executable programs uh, out of your home directory um, you know things like that so it really shows you how to how to button things down Oh, that's great. I, I totally forgot that you did that that series. And now it's suddenly topical, suddenly suddenly extra relevant. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. Um we did have some good news um on the uh on the Google front, right? Yes. Yeah, you're you're happy now. I, they, I they, did my must be listening to the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So if yeah, if you're listening to this and you were on the uh, Google Calendar team, thank you. Uh from the bottom of my heart. I I totally appreciate it. So they're going to, um, they're actually, so I, we were lamenting the death of uh, Google support for the calendar uh, open standard. Um, mm-hmm. So CalDAV is the, is the standard. And this is the, this is the standard that allows you to interact with your Google calendar using whatever client you like. Um, mm-hmm. So say it's evolution, um, say it's lightning, say it's iCal, say it's you know, whatever it is. Um, well, they, it turns out that they have actually, not only have they turned that standard back on, but they've introduced uh, support for a new standard, uh, which does basically the same thing for uh, contacts. So CardDAV uh, API is actually going to be introduced, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, once again, we've got uh, an open standards-based way of uh, interacting with uh, any information you got up on Google, which is cool. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. So, what else? Oh, I don't like this, Dave. I see on our show notes here. I see the first word on the next item is cyber. Cyber attack? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I put that in uh, on purpose just to I get don't Joel on that. I don't like this yeah. item anymore. Yeah. Uh, no. Do you, do you want do you want me to get you wound up? Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go put my fingers in my ears, and uh, you let me know when the when the item's over. <laughs> yeah. So, and this is just, I guess, more cybersecurity news um, where. Foreign hackers seek a soft target at the Veterans Administration. So, just the big thing is that one is it uh, that you know, t- you know, I-, I could say cyber to get Gunnar all wound up. Um, the, the second thing is when you see the article, you'll see a hacker, um, or 
I guess, a hacker or a proctologist using uh, latex gloves at the keyboard, <laughs> which I'm sure that's what they do. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, the takeaway of that article to me is, you know, that the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. So it's like, it, you know, people will have, uh, you know, they'll button down their identity management servers and put guards around it and all that. Uh, but they may have a trust relationship with another server that may be uh, not as well protected. But, you know, the, the attacker is going to use that weaker system as a toehold and then use that, that trust relationship to... Uh, infiltrate other systems, and I, I think that's another one of the takeaways from this uh, from that article. Yep. Yep. So anyhow, cyber. Yeah. Oh, I don't care. I still don't care for that. Um, and then you found this. Or, I mean, really, kind of damning passage um, on this uh, this uh, H online. Actually, do you want to read it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so here it, it says it well it's it's it talks about oh. There we go. So it, it, the article is called Whatever Happened to Google. So if, if we haven't ragged on Google enough lately. <laughs> um, so one of the things that, that a quote from the article from uh, H Online, it says, uh, Google no longer believes in the open source way, even if it still uses open source everywhere. That is, it is no longer happy to let engineers just hack code to see what happens, but has started to impose top-down management control across the company. Put another way, it's turning it into a kind of Microsoft, and we all know how that story ends. Um, so, you know, and, and what I thought about that is whether, you know, people agree with that article or not, um, is it uh, the thing that really stuck in my mind that I wanted to ask you about was it do you need to go all in when it comes to open source, or can you do it? A little bit over here, but everything else is proprietary. Your secret advantage, or or do you need to make open source part of your DNA or part of your lifestyle, and that's what you believe in, and and you're dogmatic about it? Yeah. So the, I think that this kind of conflates a number of somewhat related issues, right? So the so uh, as a consumer of open source, um, unless you're running some kind of open source madrasa, like you you almost can't have like a pure open source shop, right? Um, right. You're, you're always going to need some kind of proprietary work and that's going to be, you know, you're going to want to balance off all the stuff that you and I talk about, uh, which is the freedom and the choice and, um, you know, the, the kind of market making that open source can do that, that can really benefit people, bring a bunch of innovation in for very little money. That's all good stuff. On the other hand, you know, open there, sometimes there is not open source that can solve your problem. Um, sometimes the, um, sometimes it may in fact be cheaper or easier or more effective to use a proprietary tool and people have to make intelligent decisions about one or the other. On the other hand, then there's, is you're a software vendor, right? And, mm -hmm. um, taking that same attitude of, of kind of pragmatism, um, is extremely difficult if you are a vendor of software. Um, you know, the, uh, the road to the state of open source today is kind of littered with companies that have tried to put proprietary layers on top of open source products. And in general, it's really difficult because it puts the company at cross purposes, right? Um, mm -hmm. They find themselves having to uh, cripple or ignore the open source community in order to make their product valuable, uh, which is a set of like perverse incentives, right? Um, when you're doing open source, when you're selling open source services you want to make your you want to make you want in, you want to be incented such that you make your product valuable right and that's i think the magic thing that we were able to figure out with the fedora uh, model and the subscription model 
um, both of which heavily incent us to make sure that both Fedora and RHEL are you know, high quality products um, that people mm-hmm. will want to use uh, and they're using them because they want to and not because they have to. Um, and then there's a third set of questions that comes into place when you're a service provider to other people, um, when you're the custodian of their data, um, when you are, uh, this is like the GPL3 problem, right? This is um, using open source in order to provide someone else a service. Um, and that is, uh, that's super tricky. Um, and I think calling Google the equivalent of Microsoft sounds like, or I'll use the word again, hyperbole. I mean, that, that, yeah. that sounds excessive. Um, but, uh, but I think what, you know, what, what you're seeing is the, is this obvious tension. Um, and especially with companies like Google, whose whole business is trafficking in people's information. Um, mm-hmm. people put significant portions of their digital lives in the hands of a company like Google. And so those people are more comfortable, um, or at least I would hope if uh, Google's adhering to things like open standards, you know, providing IMAP access uh, to Gmail so you can use Outlook to go read it. Um, uh, and also those companies work at scales that open source require, that require open source, right? Um, Google, uh, you know, Google said famously um, that their whole infrastructure runs on open source, like they heavily depend on these projects. Um, and so, figuring out where the throttle is or where the decision is is like, okay, well, what's proprietary and what's open um, is, is significantly trickier uh, than if you were just a straight consumer of open source um, in, a, in a kind of plain enterprise or if you were uh, a company producing open source for a living. Um, yep. So uh, it, 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 it's, it, <laughs> it's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure that I would call Google... I, I wouldn't say that they're turning into a kind of Microsoft, I think... Well, and I don't, I don't, I don't think either Google is a bad word or Microsoft is a bad word for that yeah, matter. I, yeah, you know, they're right. both doing good things and quality things. But well, and, the they're, other part, and they're in completely different businesses. That's the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in many ways, yes. Yeah. But But also, I, I think too that you know the one part from that quote too is that top-down management and that that integration. Mm-hmm. That the more things get more and more tightly integrated, mm-hmm. that sets up the incentive to have other competing products be less integrated so things like caldav mm-hmm. going away mm-hmm. and you know the, and or uh, you know a lot of those things were like like google reader removing um, twitter notifications because mm-hmm. now we have google plus to use instead or right. those types of things and and i think that's whether it's open source or not to me it's, it, i get a lot of value out of individual companies that um, do one thing very very well uh and 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 you know but once you integrate them it just gets really messy so things like uh you know it's like okay i use gmail but it also you know things like uh trip it or um remember the milk or or even ways like i'm glad that it's an independent entity that is <laughs> what why are you laughing <laughs> well dave I, I i hate to break it to you but uh ways is not an independent tool anymore yeah. What happened? Google bought them. I know. Sorry about that. Well, the good, oh, the good news for you, though, is that Waze will now be seamlessly integrated into the rest of your Google experience. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll one be great. Of, actually, you know what we should do is to tell folks what Waze does, because I'm not sure everybody knows about this. Knows about this yeah. Story. So Waze was my favorite. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Uh, it's my favorite gps app it's it's like social gps navigation so 
like you could have like when I go into DC I, I use it all the time because you may have lived in DC all your life you know the roads like the back of your hand but you don't know what the traffic conditions are at any point in time and so what Waze does is that everybody that's running Waze will be sending back where they are uh, back to the Waze mothership to um, uh, to be able to and report like how fast you're going, where you are, where your route is, and all that. So if all of a sudden there's traffic up ahead, um, you get a notification, and you can even be rerouted based upon that traffic. And um, so yeah, so that's how that works. I I, I love huh. it. I use it all the time. It saves me a ton of time and frustration. And you know, it's especially how unpredictable uh, DC or Boston traffic can be. It's it's a real lifesaver. Well, and I imagine it, it it's it's only as good as the the number of participants in the network, or like the number of sensors mm -hmm. that are participating in the network. So if you have, so I imagine Google buying them, it's going to make their much richer set of data for them to pull from. I, I would suspect, right? Yeah. Well, even in. Ohio, you know, in the middle of Ohio, um, there's like a bazillion people using Waze, uh, hmm. which surprised me, and it was still like useful information. Interesting. Is is the so what's the business? What was Waze's business model? Uh, probably to get bought by you know, like I, I saw that there there were there were negotiations with Facebook and all that, and mm -hmm. uh, um, but and I would see things like I would get to a stop sign and and I would they. For my benefit, they would tell me where all the Taco Bells are. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know why, because I don't go there. But um, but I think mm -hmm. you know people would pay ways to you know put in. Oh, here's where all the Dunkin' Donuts are, um, mm -hmm. and and let you know about that. Actually, you know, it's funny. I would actually that would be a service. I mean, the I don't know what the compromise would be on the privacy end versus like the benefit end, but I would be. I would be curious to have Google start based on what they know about, you know, my location and like my purchasing habits and things like that. It would be interesting to see what they came up with, if only to make me confront my, uh, my revealed preferences versus my, mm -hmm. my stated preferences. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Cause I, I could, I could talk all day long about how much I like, uh, say taco deli here in Austin. Um, but I'm pretty sure I find myself in a Chipotle more often than I find myself in taco deli. Yeah. Um, and so it would be it kind of kept honest by your own data. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, and plus other things like how fast you drive and. Yeah. 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 I mean, like you said too, it's like there there are places where you'll pay cash and you know for one reason or another and um, or yeah and so that that yeah. Oh, that's interesting too. Yeah, that's right. Like cash would actually distort the like so a, a food truck over here on on South Congress um, that only accepts cash. Um, would be completely off the map, right? It would be unrepresented uh, mm -hmm. in terms of popularity. That's interesting. Yeah, or you plugged in that you went to, a, you know, whether it's a doctor visit or to visit somebody in a hospital, and all of a sudden you're getting these ads for whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even, and, yeah. and as a small business owner, that's even more interesting, right? Because now I'm now I'm now I want to take credit card transactions not just because. Uh, of the convenience, um, but I'm going to go ahead and pay the two and a half or three percent vig to the credit card clearinghouse so that I actually show up in the data analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. No or, or you, you are the the, you know, you're you're the taco joint next to the hospital, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and you right. want to be able to tell people that hey, you know, uh, have a taco on your way to the operation or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, 
So speaking of accumulating every piece of data that I throw off during the day, um, <laughs> yes. uh, there, there's an angle to the, to the NSA story, which is only just now kind of coming to light. People are only just now starting to talk about it. And uh, one of them is how this, this uh, spy scandal, whatever, um, or this unpleasant uh, revelation, how it's actually going to affect American businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if uh, you know, if you've ever heard uh, the EU or in, really any European country talk about companies like Google or Amazon, um, they all actually have in the past, they've all invoked the Patriot Act and said, you know, listen, we're, we're not interested in uh, moving, you know, government business to, for instance, uh, the Google apps, uh, because that would make all of our government business um, uh, subpoenable uh, by the um, under the Patriot Act. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're super sensitive to where data lives um, because they want to make sure that the rules governing how that data is handled are their rules and not, for instance, our rules. Um, So it would be interesting to see how these revelations kind of affect the private sector adoption of of cloud computing. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's like a thousand roads you could run down uh, on this line of thinking. Uh, but I don't know. Did you have any? Did you have any opinions about that? You think it's gonna? You think it'll? People will care? You think? And and maybe more importantly, like if you're a business now, knowing mm-hmm. what we know about the uh, kind of surveillance infrastructure and the rest of it, what would you? What what kind of considerations would you make uh, moving into a cloud? Yeah. Well, I I'll throw it in the show notes. But I I there was a Wired article that that talked about this where people are rethinking you know going into the public cloud. Uh, for you know their business and and uh, you know so for instance am I going to host my own email or am I going to you know use one of the big providers or or how would I do that and I would say for you know the the local taco truck um, mm-hmm. that's probably suitable you know it's like mm-hmm. that's that's great you know but but if it's if you know you want to be somebody you know like I could imagine from an industrial espionage standpoint. Um, you may not want to do that. You know, like would would a large government contractor want to run their email out? You know, in in a public cloud. I I don't know. Um, um, you know, and it's not just you know worrying about you know whether it's the NSA, but what about foreign governments? Um, and that you know, and and it's yeah. So it's to me I, that's something I think people are going to take pause, and I, I think it all depends on what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, I think if people weren't thinking about this. In the past, I think now now's a good time to start. Right, um, this is uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is um, the ability to not only choose a provider that offers you kind of favorable legal ground terms um, uh, and offers you like some measure of safety, like you're saying. I mean, the it's the the portability is also really important, right? So if the situation changes, you have options. Yeah, you well, you whatever your cloud provider that you use you may be comfortable now because maybe it's like you're small and you're under the radar and all that but you know you go from being taco deli to chipotle or mm-hmm. you know something something like that mm-hmm. um you you may want to go from public cloud to private cloud yeah. um and and so like can you think of any tools that can help with that no no well if there are they're they're super proprietary and and kind of unavailable to, to folks like you and me, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, no, we're kidding, right? There's OpenStack. 
Just open shift. Actually, basically anything we sell is going to help with this problem. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like it's it's like what it's what we talk about, right? Like the an open source tool is the implementation of last resort. Um, yep. And so, as long as your stuff can run on an open source platform, you always have an option. Um, yep. And uh, it's nice to have options. Nice to have choice. Well, and it's it's at that. You know, I, I'm sure we said it multiple times throughout the series is the barrier to exit that yep. often people overlook that yep. because the on-ramp is so easy. Yep, yep, exactly right. Exactly, yeah. Your your exit strategy is as important as your adoption strategy, for sure. Yeah. Um, speaking of exit strategies, uh, Google Reader Death Watch. Yep. Yeah. What's, the, what's the current status now? Well, it's, uh, what, July 1st, it's over. So, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, man the lifeboats and, and look for your <laughs> options. And, and I've been, I've been you know, keeping an eye on uh, comma feed. And um, it's getting better and better in terms of improvements. But I'm actually starting to see some performance issues. So uh, maybe they need some donations sent their way. Um, I'm, I'll probably open my wallet up and, and send something. Uh, this is, know, a, is this, this is in the, this is in the hosted version of it or the version that mm-hmm. you're running yourself? The hosted version. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you know, maybe they could uh, use OpenShift Online, get some uh, uh, bigger gears with some cash, and uh, you know, keep that going. I would love to see like a, a pledge drive, like Wikipedia, you know, <laughs> to, to keep that going. Um, yeah. But the the cool thing is, and you got to do this. Go to the show notes. Um, there's a demo video of of uh, Comma Feed by some guy that just is in love with uh, uh, the city of Pasadena. Um, <laughs> it is so funny. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, here's how you can use, you can use Comma Feed to read everything about Pasadena. And well, here, there, here's an article that's about, uh, you know, some other city. And, and so the, obviously we don't want to read that. But the, here's an article on Pasadena. And it, it, it is just so, like, funny. It's, it's great. Awesome. Um, That's great. Yeah, and I have a feature request in there, so we we could. Uh, I need everybody to vote it up for me, please. Uh, okay. And I'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, let's see. Well, I'll tell you what, Dave. So why don't we go through the events coming up, uh, and then we're gonna have, and then I'm gonna. We've never tried this before, but maybe it'll work. Um, we'll go through the events, and then we'll splice in this interview, um, and then we'll go back to lessons learned. Does that make sense? Okay. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, so, hey, Dave, what's going on next week? <laughs> well, I got I got one thing going on this week, one thing going on next week of other things. Okay. But um, so that FCADC Emerging Tech Symposium uh, is this mm-hmm. Thursday. So I will be. Uh, so Red Hat is like a, the like ultimate sponsor. Paul Smith is going to be introducing. Uh, one of the keynote speakers, first thing in the morning at eight ten. Uh, who's who's? Uh, yeah, he was on a previous episode with us. Um, mm-hmm. And I will be chairing a cloud panel uh, or a town hall with um, uh, uh, folks from the Office of Naval Research, as well as um, Gus Hunt, who is a CTO of the CIA. Um, so originally okay, it was good. the CTO of NSA, but he's unavailable. Um, due to current events, I guess. So, um, but so it's great. We we have that going. We also have next week on June 26th the Defense in Depth workshop where we have uh, a lot of the security all stars from the summit coming in. So we you know we'll have uh, uh, Sean Wells, Mark St. Laurent, Dan Walsh of SE Linux fame. Um, we have uh, um, Steve Grubb 
from the uh, SCAP, uh, Open SCAP project and, and the guy that oh, wrote cool. Audit, like the guy that mm -hmm. wrote Audit, so that, that'll be cool. Um, and doing a lot of the certification work. So um, in addition to them teaching classes in the workshop, uh, they will be on a panel with me at, at lunchtime and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about how to get um, how industry works with the government to form communities to you know to be able to uh, have the the private sector come up with products that work well with public sector. Um, so that's that, that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. No, that's great. And now and what I like about that is that uh, Sean now is us another twenty bucks. Um, cause, yep, because we mentioned his project. Yeah, um, and I'll I'll donate that twenty dollars to the common feed people. Nice, nice. I see what yeah. you did there. Um, okay, so so David, you want, do you want to try and set up this interview that we did? Yeah, yeah. So this is a, a customer we like. So um, so, mm -hmm. Booz Allen Hamilton uh, won mm -hmm. uh, an Innovator of the Year award uh, because uh, they integrated multiple uh, of of the uh, the products that we have into one solution. So they're they're doing they build a mm -hmm. cloud that's using. BRMS to do self-service using Delta Cloud, talking to Rev, and uh, so they um, they uh, won an innovation award at the summit, and we were able to uh, sit down with with Nirmal from Booz Allen, mm -hmm. and and we did an interview with him, and uh, so that turned out really well, and and we'll go into that, and we ought to, you know what we ought to make him the picture of the week. Oh, we should totally should. We got a photo. So in the I think what do they call it? The Hall of whatever at the summit. The, the, yeah. Uh, like it, yeah, it was, it's a hall it, that you hall you go down and it's like this huge picture of, of each of the award winners and and there's a picture mm -hmm. of Nirmal and you got a picture of him standing underneath his picture. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's did right. you get the vote of candles that I put in underneath his picture? I no, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, maybe it must we'll, have been we'll, cropped we'll, out. Yeah, well, well, I'll try and I'll, maybe I'll Photoshop him back in. Uh, okay. The, the the beatification of Nirmal. Um, yeah. So the great, so, great guy. And Nirmal's totally is like Nirmal's such a nice guy. Um, and the work he was doing is so interesting. Um, I don't know if folks at other software companies get customers this excited, like this enthusiastic. Um, and I think the fact that Nirmal or Booz and you know his whole team can take all these pieces from different Red Hat products and stitch them together in ways that we would that would have never occurred to us. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that kind of enabling that amount of innovation that is super exciting. Um, and it's and you can hear in the interview like how excited Normal is about it too, um, yeah. which is so cool. So uh, all right, what do you say? We, what do you say we uh, jump in there? Yep. Associate with the Strategic Innovations Group with Booz Allen Hamilton. Okay, right on. Uh, so, why are you at Summit? Well, this year um, we submitted a project for a client that we're working with um, for the Innovation of the Year Award, or actually Innovation Award mm -hmm. in Optimized Systems, and we won. Nice. So, we're, we're here representing Booz Allen, representing our client, and representing our innovation and strategic innovations. Very cool. Um, so what can you tell us about the project? Like what's, what was so innovative about it? The, the innovative part really comes down to using JBoss BRMS, the rules engine, as a core component of maintaining your cloud computing infrastructure and managing your cloud computing infrastructure. Oh, interesting. So that's a completely new yeah. realm where we're, we're using rules to make decisions automatically about the cloud infrastructure. 
Nice. So um, for our client, um, not only did we transition them from a high-cost virtualization platform and legacy um, Spark mm -hmm. architecture to x86 and Rev, mm -hmm. which is a big cost savings in itself, yep. but we also started to implement cloud computing characteristics mm -hmm. with that client. That's where they wanted to go. Oh. So we were lucky to have a client that wanted to push the edge of innovation within that um, that um, industry mm -hmm. and also allowed us the flexibility to try new things out. And so um, our team, myself included, um, we came up with the idea of using this VRMS rules engine to take in events from outside sources. So, for example, in this case, um, metrics that are coming from monitoring um, uh, applications, mm -hmm. um, application metrics, you know, CPU memory, threads, etc., requests, page page views, those kind of metrics, and using rules to make decisions on whether to scale up resources to change the infrastructure in some way to better re, um, better service those requests coming in. That's really cool. Yeah. So if I'm a sysadmin, I'm terrified of the prospect of no. I could be replaced by a very small shell script. <laughs> that's what it sounds well, like. Yeah, so <laughs> if anyone knows um, business rules, management systems, and business rules in general, they're a subset of artificial intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that sounds really cool to say, so I'm just going to say that all the time. <laughs> so artificial intelligence means, um, or business rules means uh, using what's called an expert system to encapsulate knowledge that people have about any kind of situation, mm -hmm. right? So, yes, system administrators can be fearful, but really what it means is that their day-to-day -day tasks can be automated. Um, we can tie the business users, the actual end users of your system, to those business rules and have that linking up between the two cultures more easily so that the infrastructure can be kind of more tied to the business user. And the system administrator now can focus on actually improving application performance, improving the applications, doing new things, right. instead of having to worry about you know the day-to-day -day routines. Right. Adding volumes to LVM. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. totally. Yeah, and like getting a form and having to, oh, like I got a request form and then you got to manually provision stuff and you can automate it. So how, so I guess I have two questions for you, Normal. Um, one is, what has the experience been as far as, you know, with uh, the winning the Innovation Award and um, is, is anything, you know, what's, what's it been like? And then also... Uh, this week, what are some of the, the cool things you're looking forward to seeing at the summit to take what you've been working on to the next level? Uh, excellent questions, by the way. Um, so, winning this innovation award has been huge. Um, you know, Blue Island prides itself on being vendor agnostic and, and trying to make sure that we um, that fit the best solutions for all our clients' needs at that time. However, um, sometimes there's just really strong synergies in terms of Wow, I really use synergy as an example. Yeah. Um, With no irony at all. <laughs> no, no irony. <laughs> there, there's very strong um, collaboration and partnership sometimes that happens where you see a company that provides um, open source projects that we can leverage to drive innovation further. And that's that's really where the, the advantage for a system innovator is, right? So we need to come up with the solutions and package stuff together yeah. as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And without the ability to grab from the community to help um, leverage these new innovations that the community is driving, um, we can't provide the best solutions for our right. clients. It's and kind so of the, the raw stuff exactly. of, of your innovations, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. So 
um, that's that's really um, where we're really glad that we can show that um, Booz Allen helps support open source communities and also shows our innovation ability to mm-hmm. the world, right? And um, especially in spaces where um, innovation kind of doesn't occur that uh, frequently. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So when and so the second question. Um, what am I looking forward to at Red Hat Summit? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, seeing where business rules management, BRMS is going in mm-hmm. the roadmap. I just got out of that session. Nice. It's very good. good. Um, it looks like, in terms of innovation, the whole entire business rules engine, you guys and the drools, the ABOS community are really driving that way forward, you know, to the point where they're doing PhD level work, mm-hmm. you know, research paper re-algorithms, really hardcore computer science right. stuff, you yeah, know, yeah. which, you know, being a system administrator or being a systems integrator, we're very far removed from that kind of edge of the of innovation. But being here, I can see that, you know. Yeah. And then the other part is really looking at the open shift, the open stack, mm-hmm. and seeing where we can start to use these rules engines and other kinds of business process automation tools and integration tools to push the edge of PaaS, IIS, and really provide those services that people are expecting from the cloud. Yeah, right, right. So to to the extent that you can automate any one of these tools, because all these tools need some kind of care and feeding, but to the extent that you can automate them, you can actually make it a much richer more valuable offering to to your customers, right? Exactly. So the more I learn about these products, especially at the advanced edge, the more I can say, ah, okay, that's something I can think about mm-hmm. hooking into in the future. Yeah. Well, awesome. And have you got a chance to talk to a lot of the engineers as well as far as, like, that's one of the things a lot of times at the summit is it's not just a bunch of sales pitches. Right, It's right. like yeah. you, you roll your sleeves yeah. up and you get to Definitely. You know, I was give just, your grievances. Absolutely, to, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So I was just in the BRMS um, 6.0 kind of roadmap showing all the new features, and there's uh, Mark, you know, he's in charge. And you can ask them any question you want about yeah. what the new algorithm is going to be doing or what new features in the user interface are going to be there and what, you know, what problems I have that I'd like to see solved. Yeah. And you can have that dialogue very easily here yeah. and meet those people. Cool. Um, well, normal. thanks. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, here you go. Right. It was uh, 50, time. right? 50 bucks? Is that one? <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, so Dave, I don't know, we're at hour three on this now, right? Yeah, I think, I think Dan Reisacker has, this, this episode will last him like a month. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, so good. Okay. So let's, let's wrap this up. Uh, Dave, if folks, uh, enjoyed, uh, hearing us opine on the news of the day, uh, and, but are interested in visiting some of the web pages, uh, videos, et cetera, that we've mentioned on the episode, where, where do they go? Where do they go for that? They want to go to dgshow.org. It says D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so go there, uh, see what's in the show notes. Uh, by all means, please comment on this episode. Uh, if you like the content, didn't like the length, if you like the length and didn't like the content, uh, please let us know. Um, and otherwise, we will see you guys next week. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.